0: Hey, this show is built on a model of advertising and listener support. We need your support. Drop by AdventureRiderRadio.com and click on support. Well, today we have another one of our exclusive rider skills programs. And on this episode, we're talking about riding two up. Now, even if you're not riding two up, you should be interested in this. I'm going to tell you more about that coming up. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you.
1: I'm Sam Ted Simon Manicus. Simon. Simon. Simon Page. Bill Bagu. Jocelyn, Jocelyn
2: Snow. Charlie
1: Borman. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Grant Johnson. Jimmy
2: Lewis. Sean
1: Thomas. And this is Adventure Rider Radio.
0: Before we get started, I want to thank these fine companies that helped get this episode out today. It's wind pressure that powers the Motobreeze chain oiler. No electrical or vacuum connections. It delivers the oil to a felt pad on your swing arm. No nozzles near your sprockets. One ounce of oil gets 1,000 miles or 1,600 kilometers. Get more miles from your chain and sprockets. Motobreeze.com. And Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made heavy-duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system. And, of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it. Tough, reliable gear. GreenChiliADV.com. Best Rest Product is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA, comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Googletech filters. CyclePump.com. Two up off-road. Well, you might even say, I don't ride too up. That's fair enough. But chances are, if you ride with others or are inclined to help someone in need, you may end up having to put somebody on the back of your bike at some time. Maybe a bike breaks down um, while you're riding dirt. Your buddy needs to ride out to get help. And if you have the skills, you suddenly become a rescuer. If you don't have those skills, well, it's, it's a different scenario altogether and gets much more protracted. So if you're like me, I'd rather have the skills that would help someone. So you can see that um, two up in the dirt skills can benefit all of us, really. And there's some interesting things to note about uh, today about counterweighting that may surprise you on this. But first, before we jump into the rider skills segment, though, a few weeks ago, I was talking with Melanie and Greg Turp. We had them on our hard versus soft luggage episode. Greg and Melanie are full-time motorcycle travelers riding all over the world. They even managed to travel when so many countries are restricting travel. They're hardcore. Well, the topic came up about riding two up. Because Melanie rides in the back, and Greg is the rider. And Melanie was just telling me uh, that she preferred hard luggage. If, if it came to her choice, she likes the hard luggage just strictly for the comfort it gave her as a pillion. But then we got into talking about what it's like and, and what she thinks that the average rider should do to experience what it's like to be a pillion.
2: So, if I had my druthers, I'd rather have the hard, the hard cases.
0: And Melanie, um, Craig's a good rider, right? You, you trust him.
2: Oh, uh, yeah! I wouldn't ride with him if he if he wasn't. Well, she no, trusts I, me
3: more than I trust myself. I think.
0: Well, I think the the pillion is is the um, they're the ones that um, they're the bravest. Like you got to be brave to put your confidence into that person in front of you and and know that everything depends on that person.
2: Well, I think, um, I, and I've said this to several people. I think every every person who rides solo on a motorcycle needs to ride pillion for about 200 miles. (laughs) It would give you a much more appreciation for the lack of control and the lack of, um, the lack of ability to really um, feel the motorcycle the way you do when you drive, Mm -hmm. when you're the, when you're the driver. And, um, you're right. It is, it is a matter of faith and confidence in whoever's in front of you. Um, Greg, Greg has had that experience twice, once with Tiffany Coates, but that was only for about two or three miles. She's and, saying
3: when I was riding Pillion. <laughs> right. Yeah,
2: when he was riding <laughs> Pillion. So I think I think everyone who, who has never ridden Pillion really needs to do it. it, it it's an eye-opening experience.
0: I totally agree. I, I think it's a great idea. I don't want to do it, but <laughs> I think everybody should do it. <laughs> yeah, I've done it
3: twice, and the second time I did it was, was with a very skilled writer, and uh, I, I, I swore I was just going to die back there. I so totally out of control.
1: Yeah, It,
3: it really scared me, so I, I think it gave me a huge appreciation for what Melanie goes through when I want to you know, uh, go a little bit faster than I should, so it's changed my perception of um, how I ride with her now
2: he did he did learn a lesson though if I tell him I want to get off <laughs> he stops and lets me off because there's instances where you don't need a pillion on the back that it's much much harder to to uh, to navigate certain things steep hills wet wet rocks that kind of thing with a pillion on the back so if I get nervous and I'm afraid, he lets me off and I walk.
0: <laughs> I was talking with Bill Dragoo the other day who, who does darts, the rider training. And, and he, when he does two-up training, the first thing he does is take the, the rider, uh, not the pillion, the rider, on a ride and makes him get on the back of, or her get on the back of his bike and go for a ride and, and lets them feel that, that sensation right there off road for a short while, because he's saying most people don't experience that. They don't, they don't get the chance to. And, and to be fair, um, often people wouldn't because the, the the pillion is in many times is not a rider, a motorcycle rider at all. They're, they're not interested in being the controller of the motorcycle. So there's, you're sort of stuck in your positions.
2: Th- that's true. I mean, I can, I can drive a scooter. But the, the motorcycles that we ride are way too big for me. Even if I had a, a motorcycle endorsement, I, I'm not big enough to, to, to ride them. Mm-hmm. My feet would never touch. So that is a concern, though, when we're out traveling and if something happened to Greg, um, we would be stranded because there is no way I would be able to get him and me both on a motorcycle and, and move to get help. So that is a concern.
0: Do you have a contingency plan there, you know, to, of how to handle that if that happens?
2: We have a spot locator with an SOS.
0: <laughs>
2: that's that's, that's as, as, good as, as, about as good as it gets sometimes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I mean that's if you're remote, right? But but I mean if you're in a place where there's infrastructure, you you can always find other ways for transportation.
3: Yeah, I mean like just even going around the United States and and Europe, about the only time we'd really feel that we uh, might have needed it is if we were on some trail, and there was a cliff and unprotected. And if we went off, or no one could see us, but uh, there's so many people around here. And uh, in Europe, most of the time, somebody's eventually going to come around. It's not going to be two or three days that you're going to be sitting there.
0: Yeah. Rider Skills is an exclusive program we developed here at Adventure Rider Radio designed to give you tools that can improve your riding skills both on and off-road. Now, of course, this is not meant to be a substitute for professional training. These are ideas and concepts that should you choose to try, you're doing so at your own risk. Now, for this episode of Adventure Rider Radio's exclusive Rider Skills program, we have Bill Dragoo back. He's from DART, which is Dragoo Adventure Rider Training. Bill's developed a course just for those who want to learn how to ride two up in the dirt or maybe hone the skills they already have. So how are you doing? You've survived.
1: Well, so far, I seem to be making it. We had had a really busy uh, August, I guess. Those all months, August and October confuse me. But uh, yeah, we had a busy August. We had uh, three weeks in Colorado with three different events. And uh, one, the last one being the uh, Overland Expo Mountain West, uh, where we did the training. And it was just, it was a huge success. We really uh, enjoyed our time there. The uh, numbers were way above what they had thought and hoped for. I think they were counting on around twelve, thirteen thousand. 13,000. Hopefully that was uh, getting them above break even. And the last I heard was over 17,000. So that event was good. And then the moto training portion of it, uh, we were within, um, one to four students of being full for every class. So the heat, you know, it was warm enough to slow some people down, but that was a good event. And then we had dark camp just before that dark camp is uh, camp is an acronym for our Christian adventure motorcycle project that we've just started. We did that down in Del Norte where we rode in the Rio Grande national forest, uh, did rides during the day. It was some of the most magnificent country I've ever ridden in. And then we came back and had breakout sessions in the evening and just a, just a really good experience for everybody was, who was there, uh, both the riding and the campfire sessions. And then before that, we did a little uh, ride and story for uh, Overland Expo on their Honda DCT Africa Twin build. And that's a whole nother story in and of itself.
0: That doesn't sound like much work in there, Bill. It sounds like a lot of vacation. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> somebody told fun. me
1: find a find a job you like to do, and you'll never work a day in your life. So, yeah, uh, so maybe I'm there finally. That is so true.
0: Okay, so well, um, for this rider skills, we're, we're talking about two up. Now, uh, the first thing I want to ask you with this, Bill, is um, is riding two now? Sorry, I said riding two up. I mean riding two up off road. Now, is riding two up off road even possible? Does it make sense? I mean, I realize it's possible, but does this make sense to try and pursue something like this?
1: It absolutely does. There are several people who do it on a regular basis, uh, both around the country and internationally. Uh, We have some friends, um, Gary and uh, Debbie Davidson, who are, they they live in Kenya. She's British. He's South African. They met along the way, uh, ultimately got married only a few years ago, but they've been traveling for a number of years. And we met them when they came here to the United States, just asking to asking to for some a place to do some work on their bike, and then how to do one of the BDRs, the New Mexico BDR. Turns out we weren't here whenever they ended up coming by. They literally used my shop, slipped in our bed, <laughs> changed the oil, <laughs> used my oil filters, did all these things, which of course is, is by more than permission. Uh, you know, we were very happy to do it for these wonderful people, but. They just love to ride two up. And they did it then on an F800 GS, later got an adventure and uh, continue to do it and to travel both on the bike and in their trucks uh, worldwide.
0: Is there one underlying theme on the whole thing? Is, Is there one sort of concept that we should get in our mind before we start talking about this?
1: Be deliberate about it. Don't just assume that because you know how to ride a motorcycle and maybe, uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll use the he and she on this because typically it's a couple, it's a man and woman couple, uh, but there, there are all kinds of, of uh, you know, children and parents, all kinds of mixes that, that ride two up. But don't presume that your, your pillion rider is going to already be able to know what you need them to know to ride well on the back. So start with no presumptions. You need to be deliberate.
0: Uh, The other thing I was thinking of was passenger commitment. So that that pillion rider, they really need to be committed. You know, it it can't be that rider that wants their pillion to ride and sort of pushes them into riding off-road. Because this is a lot different than riding on the street.
1: Absolutely true. Uh, Sometimes we do that, Oh come on, honey, I got you this great, this great bike, this great saddle, and the saddle is, uh, you know, four inches wide and as hard as a brick, and you, you put that person on the back, and it's an uncomfortable experience. There's, uh, they don't know how to hold on. You want to show how fast the motorcycle is. And one of the early things that I tell people in two-up training is that what thrills you terrifies her. So be very cautious about that whenever you're riding together.
0: Wouldn't you suggest that if somebody was going to do this, that they should actually ride Pillion themselves to get an idea of what it's like back there?
1: It's the first thing that we do in a matter of actual practice is we put the pilot on back, usually with me. And more times than not, this is their first experience on the back, maybe since childhood, but their first experience on the back of a motorcycle. And I don't do stunts with them. I, I ride reasonably, but I do go through some maneuvers, including braking exercises, tight turns. Uh, Typically, as with most adventure riding, and really most riding, um, those low speed turns, tight quarters are where people lose their balance and fall. So when I'm doing that, they're often trying to reposition themselves and help me and be the rider. So that's an education right there. It's uh, one ride like that is worth 10,000 words.
0: (laughs) And I don't know about you, but I don't like riding as (laughs) brilliant, you know, and and, um, I don't like being on the back. There's not much to see and there's not much to do, I find.
1: It's a complete yielding of control. When I was uh, training or actually riding uh, in the gs trophy competition back in 2010 i believe it was my friend gary keppel who's an outstanding rider was out there he was he lived in san diego at the time and i'd flown out from oklahoma and did this event with him and i just needed transport from one place uh, to another there at the uh, rawhide facility and I hopped on the back of his BMW HP two, which if you're, (laughs) I know you're probably familiar with that bike, but you know, 389 pounds, 105 horsepower, just a beast. And he takes off up this just incredibly long, steep hill to the tower and it's loose and scrappy and traction was great with the two of us on it. But I was totally, I couldn't get off. (laughs) I didn't know if I could stay on. And, of course, we had to do it more than once. <laughs> Later, we did it for the for the camera, and I think someone got a video of it. So, uh, yeah. But it is a feeling of yielding control.
0: Yeah. Well, we're just going to take a quick break. I've got a couple of things I want to tell you about, which I think you're going to be interested in. Then when we come back, we're going to continue on with this and, and have some good fun and learn some things. Stay with us. Go light, go fast, go far with Giant Loop. Giant Loop is another one of those companies that's around because a rider wanted a better product. Back in the day, Harold Cecil, owner of Giant Loop, was just looking for a way to carry some of his gear on his dual sport bike without having to drop off all over the place. He invented a a Loop-style bag, and then some other riders saw what he had, and they asked to have one as well. And, of course, the rest is just history, right? Giant Loop makes all kinds of luggage now for your bike, tough lightweight and waterproof gear. From handlebar bags to tank bags to serious round the world panniers. Now I often hear people talk about eliminating weight from their bike. Some people replace a muffler, that's a really common one, replace a muffler to save a few pounds. Well, Giant Loop has been doing that for years with their luggage because they believe that lighter is better. Now, if you question that, just think the next time you have to pick up your bike when it's loaded with your gear, just think about if it was lighter, how <laughs> that would help out. Drop by their website, the Giant Loop website, and have a look at the Mototrek Panniers Or the -the round-the-world panniers. And you'll you'll begin to understand the possibilities with uh, Giant Loop luggage. It's all modular, so you can sort of mix and match. And they also have uh, kits there that you can get. You know, you choose your ride style and get a kit. Go light, go fast, go far with Giant Loop. Giantloopmoto.com is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Giantloopmoto.com. Well, I was speaking with Chris Birch uh, a few weeks back, and we were talking about traction. And he reiterated something he's told me numerous times. traction is king. I mean, it makes sense. He likes tires that have good tread, that bite into the dirt, aggressive tires. Even his hand grips are always in top-notch shape with sharp edges on the grip platform. He replaces those often to make sure the hand grips are always sharp, always good traction, because again, traction is king. Well, that also counts with your feet. Traction is king. And with IMS Products foot pegs, They're designed to give you the ultimate traction without scarring your boots. I'm talking traction between you and your bike, connecting you with your bike. The way they do that is they use an offset tooth design, which is just one of the small design characteristics of IMS products, foot pegs that um, makes them what they are. This staggered design spreads the weight out, increases the number of teeth. And the hold at the same time will reducing the impact on your boots. Other aspects of, of IMS products quality is in the makeup of the part itself. Cast 17-4 stainless steel. They use a certified heat treating process. They're all made in the USA. They're warrantied for life. You won't be disappointed with these foot pegs. IMSproducts.com is a website. Anytime you are dealing with them, throw in there. You heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. IMSproducts.com. Well, let's start with the let's start with the motorcycle itself. Prepping it, getting it ready for two up riding off road. What should we be looking at?
1: Comfort, uh, places and ways to hold on uh, on the bike itself. It's nice to have a grab bar or handle somewhere. That's not typically where they'll hold on throughout the whole ride, but uh, something to lean back against is very helpful. It's not required, but it's very helpful.
0: You mean like a top box?
1: It's where we're going with that, yep. Mm. So I, I'm i not an advocate of top boxes typically, but a top box is a real good backrest for the pillion rider, and they even make little pads, or you can create something fairly simply for that. But if she has something to lean back against, that provides a tremendous amount of security, both seated and while standing.
0: Okay. Maybe we should talk about falling off before we before we get riding, because... That's going to happen almost guaranteed in an off-road situation at some point or another. How do we handle falling off with two people?
1: So we're going to back into this just a little bit. Then, so we, the, you know, we consider there are four Ps to riding well uh, to up. they are patience, praise, position, and practice. So let's go ahead and start with the end. That being practice. One of the things that we teach. Is how to get off of the motorcycle when the motorcycle falls down and I do this by putting the pillion rider on the back of the motorcycle with me and then I have the uh, the pilot stand beside me on the side to which we plan to fall and then I simply dump the motorcycle now we've talked this through we know what's happening uh, I've instructed her to step off the motorcycle to the side. She's even practiced this with it on its side at least once or twice, knowing how far away uh, she needs to step from the boxes if there are panniers. Now, often people use hard panniers with two-up riding, and this is probably one place where it's it's more suitable rather than in a typical off-road environment where dabbing and a hard pannier don't often mix. But she needs to be able to step wide and away from the pannier whether it's a hard or soft pannier and then i have the uh, the pilot standing there catching her so the threat level is very very low for this practice session Mm -hmm. and then i'll simply ride up stop the motorcycle and biff and that's an onomatopoeia for falling (laughs) sounds like what it what it is and we drop the bike on its side. He catches her. And then after one or two or three of those, then we simply pull up. I drop the bike. She literally steps away or leaps away from the motorcycle and most times doesn't even fall down.
0: Mm-hmm. It's, it's Really, I think it's easier to step off the back than it is to step off the front of the bike.
1: It can be. You have someone to push off from and you don't have handlebars to tangle up in that a lot depends on your flexibility because you've got to be able to get the leg up.
0: Well, I'm Uh, also thinking of the the foot peg height, the foot peg height being higher in the back with the passenger, uh, meaning that you have to get up less. You, You have less distance to move your foot to clear the bike.
1: That's true. And it's a really good point. Um, Typically, the pillion rider is going to be a shorter person than the one on front, not always. But if that's the case, then it, it may almost equal out or at least uh, may, may give a little bit of a boost to the person on back, too. Yeah. Mm.
0: Okay, so you, you've taken the, um, in, in the way that you teach this, you've taken the, the pilot, as you're calling the, the rider, uh, out for a ride, him on the back. Um, we're assuming that him is in front and her is in back. So just just for conversation's sake, so we can keep track right. of what we're talking about here. So you you took the pilot for that ride. Where do you go next?
1: So to begin with, for two up riding, we have to make a presumption that the the pilot is going to be relatively proficient with the fundamentals that clutch, brake, throttle triad. That they can manage the motorcycle without using a lot of muscle, without putting feet down uh, more than necessary, you know, more than is, is reasonable to keep the bike upright. And if they can't do that well, then we do some remedial work with them. We don't make the training about that, but we try to bring them up to a, a good level so that they can understand how this motorcycle works. Many times the uh, to. A, Uh, couples have been through my regular levels one and two training at least if not levels one two and three which gives them a tremendous head start on being able to ride well two up so we start with the fundamentals and then once they do that they do uh, they run a course and it's usually a simple cone course once they run that cone course by themselves a, a couple of laps or whatever we see some degree of proficiency then we put me on the back and i'll let them ride it around with me a few times. And when they do that, they, they, of course, it's kind of like overloading your backpack for uh, a a trip down the Grand Canyon, which my wife is preparing for right now. So that's close in my mind. But uh, then you bring the load back down to the regular level and it feels so much easier. So another thing that happens with me on the back is I am able to sit in the correct position and not move around and do the wrong things. But then I can also tell them, this is what it feels like when the pillion is moving around too much. And then I will. I'll move to the outside or to the inside, uh, maybe trying to help, quote unquote, and then the pilot will feel what that feels like. So they get used to that imbalanced load on the back. That's not that they've not ridden with someone on the back before they probably have quite a bit and maybe some marginal success which is why they're probably there but they really get a feeling and a sense for this then i put their pillion on the back and they begin to go through the maneuvers
0: okay so um as far as maneuvers go obviously we're talking standing here why are we
1: standing well we don't always have to stand so where we're strong advocates for standing in um Solo riding as an adventure rider, Uh, anytime the terrain is about to get technical or anytime we need the uh, steering suspension in sight, the three S's for why we stand, it's a little bit less necessary often for riding two up because we're typically operating in lower speeds and in milder environments. Still can work for you though. So there is both riders standing, there is the pilot standing, pillion sitting. And the reverse of that, pilot sitting, pillion standing. Uh, Our friends uh, Gary and Debbie, they really prefer the last one there. He likes to be seated with her standing. He just feels in control that way. And this fella is a nine time podium winner of the Romania, Uh, is it Romaniacs? Not Romaniacs, goodness. Roof roof of Roof of Africa, yes, Roof of Africa, yes. And so he, he is a very accomplished rider, but he's getting up there and he has more metal in him than my motorcycle does. So he's cautious now, but he still has the skills to bring to play. And this is just the way they prefer it to be. They set their bike up properly with good suspension and which, going back to your bike setup, that's one thing that needs to happen. You don't want suspension that's bottoming or that's jouncing too quickly on rebound or anything uh, in that setup. But he sets it up properly and it makes it a reasonably comfortable ride for them. It requires experimentation to see how the couple works best.
0: I I don't want to get too fractured on this because if we're, if we're covering everything like, you know, one standing, one sitting, et cetera, et cetera. So let's look at the, the common ways to do it. I guess the combination would be, you know, some, some work done sitting and then some work done standing. So, um, I'm thinking of, uh, of of sort of a basic concept. Do you do you teach them that? Uh, do you tell tell the pillion? You give them any instruction on this is the basic concept of what we're trying to accomplish here, and 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 maybe a, a parameter that you're going to work within.
1: Yes, uh, I'll usually start with them standing because if he has been through my training, he will have become very familiar with that she's probably less familiar with the standing so we get them comfortable just riding around and standing as i mentioned uh, around some cones and things like that but then we start getting into the the cone of balance for both the passenger and the pillion so this would involve them leaning forward together on acceleration them leaning back together on braking and then turning she remains neutral and and she can tell she's neutral if her feet are feeling pretty much equal weight on the foot pegs. And then he is leaning and turning. And in some extreme circumstances, she might follow him as he comes into the counterbalance position.
0: Okay. Do you break this down in, um, like, is it starting with like, say acceleration, then braking, and then uphill, downhill, that sort of thing. Is Is that how you approach this?
1: Yes, we, uh, we do go there. We approach it from the beginning with turns. So they just start making these kind of lazy turns. Uh, it's always a, normally a concourse. Uh, we could use trees if that's what's handy. But uh, we just let them get used to swing the motorcycle together. And it's, it's almost like a dance. And I actually teach them to do sort of a waltz. So as they're doing, say, a slalom, for example, through turns, it's a one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. And the tempo of that depends on how quickly they're going through the cones. And you can see them. She begins to just flow as as he's flowing through these turns. And then we work into 180s and then 360s.
0: So um, where would you go from here?
1: Okay, so when he is riding solo, practicing a slalom course, the one that they're about to do two up. I simply ask him to do this course in a a mild or mellow way. And then to, when she's on the back, for her to simply stand there with him as he's doing the very same thing that he's doing. She has her hands on on his hips and she's just getting the feel for it. And it's interesting how much of this is naturally kinesthetic. People are finding where they are comfortable. Uh, I try not to stretch them way beyond that comfort zone unless they're just outright doing something wrong. Uh, you know, We usually only have a day or two with them, which is a fair bit, it can be fairly intense, but we don't want to take them into a whole nother universe of activity, especially the pillion who may not have the experience riding that the, the uh, pilot does. So we start with these simple exercises, we allow him to flow through the turns by himself, she's on the back, she gets the feel of it. And you can feel a lot. When she has her hands on his hips, she can really tell what's happening. So once she's there, then I begin to reposition her. We'll stop the motorcycle. We might put it on the center stand and then let them move together if she's, for example, too rigid, or if she's trying to lean out when he leans in or something.
0: So what is the pilling doing?
1: Ideally, she'll remain neutral. And then if the uh, exercise gets to be more intense, then she will need to do what he's doing, as in mirroring. There's a, uh, a story in Ride, Texas. It's one of my dark tips, and it's, uh, it talks about riding to—oh, uh, excuse me, it's the booty position and I actually have a tall, much taller than me, woman on the back with me riding this motorcycle, and she is mirroring what I'm doing, but we're doing full lock turns. So when we're doing that, then I'm pressing the bike down into the turn, my right knee comes into the tank on on a left turn, and as my butt comes out to the outside of that turn, she is basically snugged right up against me and also moving out So every bit of my weight that I'm moving is doubled. Therefore, I only need to move half as much. And we break this down with the students into up training so they understand that what you do magnifies what he does uh, to whatever degree your weight is relative to his. So we have to kind of slow them down in these maneuvers and allow them to uh, work together on this and find that balance point.
0: Okay. So that's, that's a really good point. I think it's something that needs to be understood just in case anybody glossed over that. What you said was you have to do half as much as what you would normally do with, without the pillion mirroring what you're doing. And the reason for that is, is you're really, you're countering mainly the white, the weight of the motorcycle, which has not really changed. At least the bike itself has not changed with your pillion on the back. Am, am I going down the right path here? So it's important to understand because otherwise you're going to find yourself completely overcompensating because your pillion is mirroring exactly what you do. So that's that's an important concept to understand before you get going. You also have to have the confidence and synchronicity between yourself and your pillion to know they're there for you (laughs) because if you only do half as much and they're not there for you, well, it's not going to work.
1: Yep. Well, it goes back to that trust thing, and of course, I had uh, complete trust in Gary Keppel when he was riding up that crazy hill. Other than questioning his sanity, but <laughs> I knew he was a good rider and
0: yours, be on Question- the back with him.
1: Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but I remained as neutral as I could and didn't try to help him. He was able to do what he needed to do to the extent it was necessary to make that motorcycle do what we needed to get up the hill.
0: Can you talk about neutral?
1: So. A way to tell when you're neutral is if your feet are evenly planted on the foot pegs. And if you look down, literally look down and the motorcycle is pretty much directly between you and the ground. If you're looking and it's off to one side or the other, then you're not neutral.
0: Okay. And you're not sitting there as if you're mounted to the motorcycle though. You're not tilting as the bike tilts out.
1: No, not usually. Uh, Neutral is vertical. Neutral is remaining vertical relative to the, the G-forces that are happening. Right. So we've got the practicing for turns, and we teach neutral position. We teach counterweighting. And again, the counterweighting is just a, a fraction of what it is whenever we're riding solo because typically we're in a more uh, mild environment. Hopefully we are. Now, we, we can get into more extreme stuff, but most of my two-up people... Most don't. I had one couple who were very aggressive, and that's, that's another story. We can talk about it if you like. But braking is something that most of us underdo, uh, especially when we're too up because you feel that pressure on your back or they're squealing back there, whatever you're stomping too fast, or acceleration. And there are times when we need to accelerate really quickly. So we have a braking exercise that is our actually our level three braking. And instead of doing... Q cones to initiate braking and then marker cones to show the distance that we stopped within we do a braking zone and this is a break and accelerate zone so i have the the two up couple ride into the zone at a, a deter, predetermined speed 25 30 miles per hour i kind of look at skill look at the environment where we are and all but 25 30 miles per hour they ride into this braking zone and both standing and then You know, I have to remind him that he will have her weight on him, and I have to remind her it's okay to have your weight on him. Don't expect to be able to balance under extreme braking. So he rides into this braking zone, and then the two together move their weight back. They simply shift their weight back, and it's almost like spooning, and they're leaning back as two spoons. And when they do, he's braking intensely. Now, we ramp it up. We don't start intense, but we ramp it up, And then within that zone, he will then shift his weight forward, she goes with him, and he accelerates out. And we do this to the point that they can be aggressive enough to skid the rear tire and spin the rear tire. So we do this with ABS and traction control off or in the Enduro Pro mode if it's a bike that's so equipped. So that really gets them used to that, to being a monkey on the motorcycle.
0: When you're doing that, then you're transferring the weight to the handlebars?
1: Yes. Uh, well, to, to some degree, here's how that works. Imagine you're standing up vertically on the motorcycle by yourself and you drop your hands to the handlebars. Now look at the angle from your shoulder to your to your knuckles. Now bring your weight back, bring your butt back as far as you can and look at that angle. Which one of those angles do you want to be at whenever you're braking aggressively? Mm-hmm. You'd prefer to be back where you have more force to be applied against the bars, it's not a down force, it's a forward force. So to the extent that the couple can move back together, which is limited by luggage, uh, whatever is back there, leg length, leg girth, all of these things are factors. But once they find that point where they can move rearward to the maximum degree, that's where they want to shift to for that hard braking. And we practice this enough that they can actually get very comfortable doing it, so this becomes their default position when braking, rather than hoping that they do it right whenever there's an emergency.
0: The pillion is picking up the cue from the from the rider, the pilot, right. So, mm-hmm. so the the extent of the braking, of course, the pillion has no idea, really, and and may not even be able to see fully what what's going on there. So that heavy braking and that that um, position moving rearward on the motorcycle as you're heavy braking, that's all initiated by the pilot and mimicked by the passenger.
1: It is, and it is a bit like a dance in that you feel the motions, you feel the muscles tense, uh, you begin to anticipate what they're going to do based on what they've done in similar situations in the past. But we don't discount vision. Uh, It's good for the pillion to be seeing also. I mean, some pillions want to sit in the back and and watch videos on the phone or something. But most times, it's especially in an off-road environment, which are off-pavement, which is what we're discussing most here, then it's good for the pillion to be seeing what's coming. You may be coming up on a water crossing and you know how he reacts to a water crossing because you've practiced it. So you simply go through that water crossing in the positions that you've practiced.
0: Mm -hmm. And that's what I was thinking is because, like for instance, anytime you want to unweight the front wheel, maybe it's a little dip, maybe it's a small log you're going over or something like that. How How do you telegraph that to the pillion? it's it'd be impossible without without some sort of communicators. We didn't talk about that. Um, whether you whether you suggest and i'm I'm assuming that you know obviously it would make it better with communicators because that quick crack of the throttle can be enough to have someone lose their grip and in particular if they've been standing up to begin with and and off the bike
1: uh, yeah, you're you're sure right. Uh, there's a you know I, I keep touting these columns. But there's one called Honey, We need to talk on my website <laughs> and it's Susan riding on the back with me. And we were up in uh, Northern California on the, uh, the coast highway, actually on the, the, the area where the, the coast highway is not there. It's, it's considered the lost coast area. And we were riding with some, some pretty fast guys on KTMs and we were the only two up uh, ones there uh, at that time and it was aggressive we were going through mud holes and around turns and over obstacles and things and she began to just get into the rhythm of it with me now later there was a discussion about this she did it very well but it was a little beyond her comfort zone when we did this so the other couple that i mentioned to you that uh, that worked with me we were doing some, some work in utah they were very aggressive, very energetic, and uh, very capable. And they actually won a tight quarters contest that we had between several of the riders on this particular tour that we were, it was a training tour, and they were so capable, they could go over obstacles together and around tight turns together, and it's because we practice these things. So getting to your point of communication, yes, they had comms, and he could give her a heads up, but in the most challenging environments, they did very little communication. She watched, she would unweight by bending her knees. She would allow her, her knees to be the suspension for the bike. She would counterweight with him. And they had actually built a harness so that uh, he, she had a place to hold on with handles. It was a nylon, a set of nylon webbing with these uh, handles on it that uh, she had a great purchase. He was, a, he was muscular, a big, big fella, but he was wide she was tiny. She weighed about 105 pounds, maybe 110. So they were able to, uh, to really work well together with very little communication, but they had the calm available when they needed it.
0: That's the key, isn't it? You find a pillion that's really, really small compared to you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's not always a choice we have, but uh, and it's not always necessary either because uh, if someone's skillful, everything they do is enhanced by their strength and their size. So if they're doing it well, it it really doesn't matter. It could go well either way.
0: Okay. So that's breaking heavy breaking. How about acceleration? I mean, we sort of talked a little bit about that, but are there any special instructions that you give for that?
1: You find a point of balance so that when you accelerate, you're, you're comfortable. You're not clinging with your fingernails to, to keep from going off the back. Um, now, some pillions prefer to keep their butt back on the back during this acceleration. They just simply bend at the waist and reach forward. That's okay, but it's not my favorite position. And this is why I say this is it's a very subjective thing. The nuances of riding two up are not as scientifically accurate as, for example, riding solo in a, on an adventure bike and getting through X, Y, Z terrain. Mm-hmm. So have the couple lean forward until they're in a, in a comfortably balanced position, and the acceleration doesn't feel bad. It's it's it looks like a downhill skier almost, you know, leaning forward and uh, very much into the wind, into the g forces of the acceleration. It's it's fun.
0: Now I want to get into uphill and downhill, but before that, uh, we we talked about slow speed. We didn't talk about where the the pillion is looking. Is it important that they do the same thing as the the rider, the pilot?
1: Yeah, and again, Jim, you bring up really good points here. And, we, of course, we teach this. When we're turning left, for example, typically the pillion will be looking up and over the right shoulder of the the pilot unless there's too much disparity between the two. And she may have to look just straight inside, inside the turn, but she doesn't want to be looking outside. You, you know, The bike tends to look where the pilot goes, of course, but your balance is based upon what you're seeing right in front of you and what's about to happen. So they both need to be scanning inside the turn.
0: So they're both looking to the inside of the turn. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. And depending on body relative body positions, that may be on the outside shoulder, it may be on the inside shoulder, or to the inside of the arm. Right. The t- degree of the turn, the angle of bank, those things are all factors. But when you can see it begin to evolve, um, you know, I, I take a little sidebar here. Taught my granddaughter to ride a little uh, e-bike last night. She's, I think she just turned six. Nice. And yeah, she just loved it. She's she's really tiny. It's, it's on Facebook, but she was doing very, very well. She was natural with this. I didn't have to talk to her about keeping her feet on the pegs. Uh, I mentioned it. But she was able to make some pretty tight turns, feet up. And she looked, other than an occasional reminder, she looked up and where she was going rather than looking straight down, which is what most people do. This doesn't change whether you're the, the pilot, the pillion, uh, or a six-year-old child riding on the motorcycle.
0: And starting that young is, is fantastic. That's what we need to do, get those young ones interested in riding.
1: I know. Uh, that wasn't hard with her. She's done it since she was two with me on the on the GS. All right.
0: Okay. um, uh, Uphill, downhill.
1: Uh, What what do you want to tackle first? Small hills. Um, You know, this is like anything that you do that can be risky. You want to have successes. We want to come beneath their skill level and create a sense of confidence, both for the the, uh, pillion in the situation, but also in her pilot. So, you know, and this gets into the, uh, the patience and the praise aspect of what we do. Um, there really needs to be some positive communication when things happen. When he climbs a hill and that feels right to her, then when they stop, it's great if she says, man, that was awesome, that was fun, that felt good. Or if he compliments her and says, I didn't know you were back there you were so in the perfect position that it just worked out well for me. And we don't want to concoct praise that's not accurate or true or honest, but we want to look for opportunities to, to have that praise. So we start with small hills and successes, and then we begin to move to, to higher hills.
0: So, when, so Bill, when you're saying praise, it's, it's feedback, really, is what you're looking for, isn't it? It's that, that gives you feedback, lets you know, okay, that hill felt good to the pillion. I know what I did there, you know, and I can try and and, uh, replicate that on the next one and vice versa.
1: Praise is wrapped up in feedback. Feedback can be positive or can be negative feedback. And we have to be very cautious with the negative feedback too soon. Hmm. Um, It can. uh, So working with a couple on some challenging areas out in out in the mountains, once we had some rock ledges that they were climbing and he struggled. He, I, I had him do it first without her. He wanted to do these two up. And he struggled, and he fell a few times. Initially, he would go and try and pick the bike up himself, which was fine. He was strong and capable, and he did this. And the, the challenge was, here she is standing there perfectly able to help, either by lifting or by counterbalancing. So she tried to move into a position to help at one point after he got the bike up and he was about to release the clutch to to move on up the hill standing beside the motorcycle, and an argument ensued. The point was that he feared for her safety, or it was at least presented as that. I think that he was angry with himself for the failure on the hills, and this set off some triggers, So there was a lot of feedback back and forth. But I was just trying to help. I wanted to get in a better position. But I thought I was going to run over you. I was about to dump the clutch and go. This bike is big. And these things began to take off. And, and of course, it was hot. And all all of the things that happened to start this downward spiral. So feedback needs to be deliberate, especially in the practice phase. But when you get into the real world of it, sometimes silence is better than feedback. There's a lot being said that doesn't have to be verbalized. And we know when we've made a mistake. We know when they've made a mistake. They probably know when they've made a mistake. So don't feel like you have to talk through every single situation, especially if you have a journey to complete. And maybe that you do need to talk through. You need to talk to sit down, drink some water, relax and cool down a little bit. But that's you know I, I jokingly tell but it's actually mostly true that teaching two uprighting is half marriage counseling there's just a lot of give and take here and how do we communicate and triggers become very very sharp and very sensitive yep. so whatever triggered them before will become worse under stress
0: yeah we used to find it with double kayaks we used to call them divorce boats for the, for the same reasons, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got gotcha. And it was—that's uh, what it was. It was about trying to to work out um, its communication. Communication, while well, stressed, does funny things to all of us, doesn't it? We all act differently to react differently to stress, and uh, unfortunately, um, sometimes it brings out ugly sides of us. You know, where we act uh, inappropriately for it, or at least um, non-constructively for it. Anyway. But okay, and now when I said what's next, and we were talking about hills, uphill, downhill, you said small hills. So I'm assuming you're talking uphill and downhill. You do this as a combination, not as one and then the other.
1: Well, typically what goes up must come down. And uh, many of the hills that we have do have a crown and then they have a down. Mm -hmm. So we actually teach a similar um, exercise that we do solo adventure riding, and that is to find that speed at which you can successfully climb the hill, pause at the top, and then descend the hill safely down the backside. So, uh, again, this is a, a, a ramp-up if we have the right terrain for this. In our, in our training grounds, we do. We have a, a pretty perfect environment for that. But they simply learn the transition area for the hill, so they approach it, not screaming up on this hill. And the hill might be 10, 12 feet high with an 8-foot crown at the top, Uh, you know, relatively flat area and then steep down the backside. So they approach it at a low to moderate speed and then they accelerate, both leaning forward, accelerate, feed the clutch in just as they approach that transition area where the hill goes from flat to up. It's got that little arc. And right there, they, they make the little swoop up the hill. He begins to clutch the bike at the top and together they know this is coming because we've talked about this and he's practiced it on his own. They, they pause, they might even look around. And when I really know they've got it, both will look left and right at the top of the hill. And that is so cool to see that happen. And then they move their weight back and they can descend the hill in a couple of different ways. If it has a good run out, it's just clutch out, let the bike go down the hill, uh, the weight can be fairly neutral. It doesn't need to be way back. There's not a lot of deceleration force with engine braking. They simply are staying balanced as they roll down the hill. Or if it's a, a more technical hill, and sometimes we'll make it a more technical hill, we'll actually set cones up that are stop boxes. They have to pick their way down. Now they're they're back but balanced. And as they come to each pair of cones, he will pause the motorcycle and then turn, and then pause and turn as he moves left and right through the gates like a skier descending through uh, through downhill skiing gates.
0: On the uh, way up and down with the hills, what is the pillion holding on to?
1: Usually his waist. And this is uh, something that I want to emphasize. A lot of times you'll see a pillion put her hands on his shoulders, right up on top of his shoulders. And the problem with that is if acceleration gets out of hand or if it's a surprise, your hands go up. I mean, it's hard to grab the traps or that part of the jacket enough because they're typically well above uh, her shoulders or at least equal to or above her shoulders anyway. Now, it might be that because of the bike position or a higher pillion position, her hands are down, but still putting them on his shoulders in acceleration, the hands tend to lift and it's not my favorite position so i suggest that she put her hands either in his pockets or gripping uh, vents on the jacket Uh, if it's a small guy like me you could just put your hands around his his waist and hold on and that's a real comfortable position because like with dancing where at least one hand is on the waist you feel what's about to happen the hips tell a lot they tell a story
0: and never on the back of the bike
1: I am not a fan of on the back of the bike, but I won't say never. Yes, yeah, so I, Dur-
0: I, 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 As soon as I, as soon as that came out, Bill, I knew you wouldn't like that statement because <laughs> we, and, and I agree with you totally. We don't want to box it in, right? Because there's so many different ways to do whatever it is we're doing.
1: Sometimes seated on the bike and you're, you're rolling along, you need a, a different position to rest your arms, but it's bumpy. And so you just put your hands down and you, you grip the, uh, the bar, if there was a grab bar there, and most of the bikes are set up, at least from the factory, with a, a reasonable place for the the pillion to put, to put her hands. So that can be okay. And again, practice is huge. Those four Ps, all of them are very significant. And if they don't deliberately practice in controlled environments, they won't be prepared for what they're going to need to do in a less controlled environment.
0: Okay. So to wrap it up, what I want to do is I want to get some top tips from you. Some things that you see that people probably do wrong the most often.
1: One of the things uh, that I see on a regular basis, um, as far as a mistake, is that the, the pillion just moves around too much. Uh, they're either with a camera or just trying to help. It's often, you know, well-intended, but they just move around too much on the back during critical times. So that's part of the training, of course, helps to to prevent that from happening. So the pillion needs to learn when to be still, how to be still, how that looks and feels. Another uh, big one, and this is probably, this may be the top number one (laughs) mistake that a pillion makes, is they don't communicate to the rider that they're about to board the motorcycle. Mm -hmm. And this was... uh, this happened with me and uh, on a Harley-Davidson many years ago. I had a tea T-bag on the back and had uh, saddlebags on the side, leather saddlebags. The bike was heavily loaded, and I had a small pillion, but I wasn't really ready when she went to climb on the bike. And when she did, you know, Tippy Canoe and Tyler, too. I mean, <laughs> down we went, and it was a beast to pick that thing up. Uh, you know, I was fairly stout back then, but it was a big bike, and it was loaded high improperly loaded as those tea bags do right so you know make sure you communicate before getting on the bike part of that communication is to for the 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 pilot to reach back and put the pegs down that's a that's a strong signal of i'm getting ready here and we're about ready to go so it's a mistake not to welcome your passenger on board
0: okay what's next what else do you have
1: The uh, snap back. So whenever someone has a little bit of an attitude, he's probably struggling. You know, he probably is embarrassed that he has done something wrong, he's missed a turn or whatever it might be. And if he's getting a little bit agitated, it's really good if if the pillion can just kind of flow with that and, you know, offer an apology or sometimes silence is worse than than the, the words that can come out. So just say, I'm sorry, I didn't mean for that to happen. Um, I know that's hard to swallow sometimes, but that goes both ways too. Uh, sometimes she's uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> I, I, I mentioned this in my story, um, Honey, We Need to Talk. And I, I had just done a wheelie. And when the wheelie touched down, I thought this was a perfectly choreographed wheelie amongst these wind generators in this, you know, in Southwestern Oklahoma. And there was suddenly this loud pow and this, this jolt to my helmet i thought i'd hit a bird well no it was her just expressing her opinion of my wheelie she wasn't was something super I cool high five <laughs> <laughs> wasn't something i should have done so and you know uh we're pretty good natured with each other and, and we did laugh about that but she was momentarily irritated that i had done that and, mm-hmm. and it was foolish on my part to have done it so you know but be patient and don't snap back at one another Whenever things uh, don't go exactly as you want ask before boarding the motorcycle, prepare the motorcycle for her. Uh, these are some really, really good tips to, uh, to get people started off right. Okay. Any others? Things that go wrong. Um, overriding, um, you know, there was a, t- I have done all of these things, Jim. Uh, there was a time in uh, southeastern Oklahoma when, uh, I was riding pretty briskly and feeling good. On, again, this is on the road, on the Harley Davidson Dyna Sport, the one that we still have. And I'm cooking pretty, pretty well along there, and a guy on an Indian comes along. This guy was a super good rider, and he passed me, and it was on. And so we literally, as it got on towards late evening, which it was coming up on that, and it got dewy, the bike began to drift some on the turns to the point that I was I was slipping and dragging at the same time. Uh, this is foolhardy. I mean, this was, this was many years ago, and it was very foolhardy to override that motorcycle like that and to take her on the back with me like that. So don't show off for your pillion. Don't override or push the limit of your skills when you have someone on back because it's more than twice as dangerous. Things can happen back there that you weren't prepared for that can take you out of balance and, and cause you both to go down. So mm-hmm. stay well within your limits. Make it a fun and comfortable ride. And this strays a little bit from just two-up riding, but uh, mixing uh, things that impair your judgment, whether that be drugs or alcohol, with riding. Uh, a lot of bike nights, there are, there are cultures that surround that type of riding, and there are, there's a lot of two-up riding at bike nights. So now we're back to on-road more than off-road, but even off-road, people can choose to drink and then go out and ride. Uh, it's just not a good idea at all, and you know a lot of people are hurt, and then often within that culture, the gear is not appropriate. So we have people uh, who, because of the culture, they either don't wear a helmet, wear an improper helmet, or don't wear. I mean, you'll you'll see them with uh, a tube top and you know no sleeves or anything, and maybe shorts or the jeans with the holes in them, and uh, you know little thin shoes. It's uh, we have to be careful about our comfort and our style as they relate to our safety and our ability to to ride. In a manner that's going to be sustainable, it only takes one accident to to really peel somebody down pretty good. So I, I think it's appropriate to touch on that whenever we think about our pillion, because we have their life and their well being in our care. So we should act accordingly. They often trust us for what should I wear, how should I dress, you know, other than just how they ride on the back. Uh, how can they be safe back there in the event that there is a fall? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I often think when I see people riding in shorts, I'm thinking if the next time you stop kneel down on asphalt and think about that feeling of your knee, just sitting on the asphalt, what it feels like.
1: Yeah. Levi's last about six to 12 inches. And, uh, now you're down to skin, which lasts less. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And six to 12 inches is nothing at any speed uh, at all. Nope. But, um, nope. anyway, any other obvious, uh, mistakes that you see happen a lot?
1: You know, there probably are, Jim. It's, they're not coming to mind immediately. Um, but, uh, I think again, if we can be deliberate about our writing, we can work through those, and we can be prepared for for most of what may come. Uh, you know, distractions. I suppose would be considered a mistake as I as I think this through. Uh, whether that be music or whether it be talking too much or pointing and looking, we just need to be careful not to let ourselves get distracted. We've all done the thing where we say hey, look, is that a rabbit? And then we slap somebody or we pour water on them or whatever it might be. We, we play some practical joke on them. Well, that's because a distraction really opens up our vulnerability. So we need to be careful not to distract each other uh, from, from the task at hand. And then I, 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 will, I will say this. Um, remember the four Ps. Patience, praise, position, and practice. If you bring everything under that umbrella, then you'll lift both. Both of you will be lifted up by the sessions that you have, and you can become very good riding partners.
0: Oh, fantastic stuff, Bill. That, that's great. Hopefully that will um, give somebody some some things to think about and um, ways to improve their, their two-up riding. I appreciate you coming on the show once again, Bill. It's always fun to sit down and chat with you about motorcycles.
1: It's something we both love to talk about, Jim, and I appreciate being on board once again.
0: Was speaking with Bill Dragoo from Dragoo Adventure Rider Training, located in Norman, Oklahoma. His website is buildragoo.com, and of course, that link and as well some photos of the two up training are in the show notes for this episode on our website at adventureriderradio.com. about wraps up another episode of adventure rider radio and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it special thanks to our producer elizabeth martin and to you the listener thank you very much for listening of course hey there's three things i'd like to ask of you right now if i can uh, the first one would be to support the show the show is built on a model of advertising and listener support if you're not supporting it already we'd really appreciate it if you just drop by the website adventureriderradio.com, click on support and have a look at, at the options to support we'd love to get you on our patron support team The second thing would be to drop by iTunes and give us a five-star review. That five-star review helps other people find the show. The third thing is, is if you like what you heard today, share it with a friend. Give it to somebody else. Introduce someone else to Adventure Rider Radio. You can post it on social media. Um, You could tell somebody about it. Maybe one of your riding buddies, et cetera. Those three things would really help the show. Anyway, thanks very much for listening. Time to get out there and ride your bike if you can. My name is Jim Martin, and I will talk to you next week.
3: Hi, I'm Jimmy Lewis and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. (laughs)